What's going on, everyone? Welcome to a very special episode of Renegade Marquee on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, uh, Tommy. Greetings, Captain. I could not be more excited about this episode. For the consideration of our listeners, we are not only going to be talking about one of the best overall films of 2023, but in my eyes, one of the best films so far this young decade. Oh, yes. We have... Um the director and producer of Sam Now, Reed uh, Harkness. Hey, guys. <laughs> that was an amazing intro. Thank you. Glad to have you. And joining him is the editor, Jason Reed. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Um, so before we get too deep into like the meat of, of this film, I, I just want to get to know you guys a little bit more as, as filmmakers and as just individuals. Reed, one of the one of the things I loved about about this documentary was in the first act where where you showed home videos of you and Sam, um, you know, making your own little movies together. Um, so my question for you is like, what were some of your inspirations growing up? Wow, oh, that's a good question. So yeah, inspirations growing up, but I think way back it was like claymation specials. And then it, and then it was like things like Saturday Night Live sketches, and then Almost Live, which was the Seattle rendition of Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's pretty amazing. Oh, that uh, that's sounds where good. like uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy came from. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, there was like, and then and then like my grandmother, who's featured in the film, Doris, she used to take us to um small art house cinemas as kids and i started seeing really surprising and amazing films at a, at a young age and um and then as a teenager i just started going to my local video store and got really inspired to watch everything i could find that was considered independent cinema nice and jason what what about you what were some movies or even like tv shows that inspired your craft yeah well i mean so like reed kind of got started young making films but i kind of came into it more after college or i was i ended up becoming a cinema studies major at the university of washington in seattle and then i you know kind of came of age right as the digital revolution was happening and so kind of taught myself how to make movies and edit them digitally which was kind of a new thing back 20 years ago but in terms of things that are like really inspirational to me, I mean, I love like, you know, what I really got into the cinema studies was 60s French New Wave and then the American independent cinema of the 70s. And then just growing up, I mean, I loved, I just like became to a lover of cinema and independent film. And, um, you know, back about 15 years ago now is when I kind of started really heavily into doing feature length documentaries. And um, it's been, a busy stretch since then of <laughs> a, a, a big succession of films. Nice. My question uh, for both Jason and Reed, um, piggybacking off of that, was there a specific moment that you both feel individually spoke to you in realizing that pursuing the industry was your calling over the course of your life? Can I swear? Nah, the heck with it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's just one of those moments where you're like, Holy crap. I can't believe these moments. But um, so, all right. Um, two things. Um, when I was a teenager and I was renting videos 
pretty much daily from like my local video store clerk basically pulled me aside and was like, remember me when you get famous, which is weird for a teenager because I'm just like, hey, I'm just running videos. I'm not really, I'm not trying to be a filmmaker. What are you, what are you like putting that on me for? Um, but like recently we had a screening and I tracked down those video store owners and, and invited them because um, I realized that that was like a key identity moment where like, I kind of had to face the uh, the question of really what I wanted to do. Um, another one was um, I was at a bookstore in Palo Alto in the 90s, and Michael Moore was doing a book signing. I knew Michael Moore from TV Nation. I hadn't seen Roger and Me yet. Um, and I get up in line, and the guy in front of me is, like, bawling. He's, like, totally crying, and he's like, you changed my life. Roger and Me changed my life. And then I get up and I'm just like this gangly teenager and I'm like, hi, can you sign my book? And I'm like, I'm going to get out of here as fast as possible. And then um, he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm I'm a teenager, like, you know, teenager stuff. Uh, and, and he's like, no, really, what do you what do you do? What are you interested in? And I'm like, well, I'm interested in filmmaking. And he's like, well, then say it. Say I'm a filmmaker. And I freaking said... I'm a filmmaker to Michael Moore. Um, and that sort of cemented something in me. And then along the way within Sam Now, you can see the many iterations of where I have epiphanies of what being a filmmaker really is. Wow, that's an incredible answer. Jason, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I had just this like moment where I became, where I wanted to become a filmmaker. I was never thinking that I was going to become a filmmaker as like, a little kid, you know, I, I guess I can go on a quick side tangent since this is like longer form, but like Reed and I grew up around the corner from each other in North Seattle and we met each other probably when we were five years old. And so we've known each other for a very long time, which obviously like aided in the making of this film since it's such a close personal film. But, you know, Reed and I would grow up like playing together, like, you know, little building little armies with toys and running around doing hide and seek and everything like that but I wasn't running around with them, like making the films. And I just got really into film and in, in high school and, and really into film in college. When I realized that I could choose major where I watched movies and thought about them, wrote about them in the same way you do that with literature. And I like to watch movies way more than reading. So, you know, I had some really, really inspirational teachers who really, you know, instilled in me, a, a, you know, a formidable age that like, what makes a movie a great film, you know, and I got exposed to so many films that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And so, you know, when I left college, I didn't have any tangible skills other than like knowing what made a film great. And that's when I bought, you know, a camera and a Mac and editing software. And I just made my first film, you know, over the course of three years, which was kind of a hybrid documentary mockumentary about myself and my best friend growing up who had a rivalry at everything they did and decide to have an Olympic competition to decide who's the better man. And so, you know, I kind of just fell into it making that. And then out of that, I got my first job editing. And then a few years later, I made my first two feature length documentaries. And I think through both those projects, I saw the power of film and particularly the power of documentary and, and the stories you can tell and the impact that you can have telling these stories and you know that was 15 years ago and now i've made a whole series of documentary features a lot of which like i am with sam now i'm the producer and editor one of two editors on um so i find that the editing of documentaries is like the best 
puzzle you can ever you can ever do you know it's just like um so especially with a film with 25 years of footage such as sam now but i'll just also say that like you know i've reconnected with reed after our childhood and our 20s and he was making all these creative super eight films and doing hand processing and doing these screenings in seattle and portland with live music and i was really really inspired by the sam films back in the early 2000s and so you know as i continued my career in documentary filmmaking and finished kept finishing like other films you know like i was i really like i feel felt like sam now was like the dream film you know because it has all the cool formats and reads such a talented filmmaker and we had access to these incredible canon of films and so in 2015, that's when we officially partnered up and then got the funding from ITBS and PBS in 2019. Um, and then it was three more years of shooting and editing to finish the film. So it's been a long process. Nice. Um, just going back to what you said about editing, I this isn't so much a question, just a, an observation that I think out of all the film genres, um, documentaries, probably the one where the editor is kind of like more like more so than others, like the driving force of documentary filmmaking. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? I mean, I just think it's like critical. Like you have nothing without like the edit of the movie and especially like so many thousands or more decisions need to be made in the process. Of course, that's in collaboration with the director and other, you know, chief stakeholders in the film, but like, you know the editing it's like so many films don't ever get finished because the editing is so difficult and it's such an easy thing to get wrong um you know and it takes a tremendous amount of time and energy and process i mean we had super interesting thing with sam now where reed was shooting act three of the movie as we were editing basically act one and two and the edit was informing the shooting and the shooting was informing the edit and then we had the writing of the voiceover which reed would work on then darren and i would integrate and we take things out and put them in and i mean you know there's just so many different ways you can organize the scenes and so many scenes and elements we had to work with with sam now it was definitely like the hardest editing puzzle ever and we you know darren one they got to give a shout out my editing partner on this film and all the other films we've done over the last 15 years i mean we really needed two of us working full-time along with reed working you know on you know, having like a separate script that he was updating and this bat was informing stuff for us to do. We were doing experimental things. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely like, as opposed to a narrative film where you just have a screenplay and you have takes, but I mean, especially if the director wants to adhere to the screenplay, you're not really making that many decisions compared to a documentary. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Was there a specific um, structure as you were to piggyback off of your answer there, Jason, was there a specific um, structure that you ultimately um, decided to go down as, as far as um, what eventually became the 87-minute feature? Well, I mean, I think, you know, Reed always had a fairly clear vision, or really the first half of the movie is kind of established by the chronology of the film in terms of, like, brothers making films, mom disappears, going out to find her. But the second half was much, much more amorphous and didn't really have as clear of a trajectory now as it got shot and everything that became clearer and clearer but i mean i think that we started off by organizing things sort of chronologically of everything that had been shot and then organizing it more thematically of the visual content like the super eight and the vhs 
Um, and really it was like assembling everything long form. Like I was the person who watched like all the footage, you know? So between Reed and I were the only people who really knew the full depth of the canon of footage. And, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand hours by the end of it all. And, and so it, it's a lot to like keep track of, but yeah, I mean, I think if you were go to go back and look at our first rough assembly, a lot of the basic structure is is similar but like i said there's thousands and thousands of decisions that got us to the point of it being the film that it is today that you know it had elements of in the earlier iterations but they were much more sort of bloated and not necessarily organized in the right fashion absolutely um i'll ask you this jason with your career centered around documentary style filmmaking so far is there something that you had taken with you um, something that I may have spoken to you in the past and uh, that you were able to bring to the table in your abilities on editing this project. I, I kind of think Sam now is a culmination of like really every project that we'd done to that point. You know, it was definitely more ambitious in terms of scope and, and theme and content and just like importance of what we were trying to do is also more personal than anything that we'd done before, you know, I think on a straight technical level, the previous bigger film that Darren and I had edited, Dirtbag, The Legend of Fred Becky, which you can watch on Amazon for free with your Prime membership. Um, that film had like 93 years of content because our subject lived to the age of night, well, 94. And we had journals going back to the 30s and 10,000 images and various kinds of film and video footage from and audio recordings. And it was like, this huge amalgamation of things, but like it was different than Sam now because Sam now had way more sort of like verite moments and it was a different kind of challenge that was telling someone's life story, which was challenging. But this was like, I don't know, there was just so much more involved and so much care and precision in the edit that we need and, and just things we had to be aware of and um it was just a lot more complicated and, and it, it took probably twice as long and we're talking three years of full time between darren and i editing uh outside of you know four years of kind of prep work in the background before that so it's uh yeah it was a big it was a big lift well i i would say all of that hard work um really seemed to pay off now getting a little bit more into the heart of the story i hope i'm not alone in saying that one of my favorite things about it was the brother dynamic between Sam and Reed. Um, do do you want to go a little more in depth with that? Oh my God. Um, yeah, my brother, um, he's like eight years younger than me. Is that right, Jason? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, it's, I, think it's like Jason. I think it's I think it's seven and a half. I think it's seven and a half. But yeah. Jason became like this amazing, like like imagine you have your own like personal Wikipedia or something like Jason, like immersed himself in like all the content. And there was points where I'd be like, you know, that shot where there's like a red flower in the background and you know, like Jared's kind of <laughs> walking off and he'd be like, Oh yeah, I think that's on the um, Jared five timeline, you know? So yeah, um, it's like three hours and 42 minutes in <laughs> so, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so Sam and I, um, one of the complexities of the edit, I think, is to do with um, really upholding the vision of storytelling. And, you know, that was on me. I had a conversation with Sam about being involved in the edit 
as we started to get into true editing. And he declined, but he sort of put this, um, he put me to the test. He said, I trust you to tell this story, but it's got to come from you. So what I heard from that was that like, I really had to uphold this, this language that we had learned together through our whole lives. And um, when I say that, I'm talking about like, how did we learn to play together? How did we learn to communicate? When did we realize that we could share emotions safely? All of these things um, are building blocks in the story, but it's also informing like every edit decision because authenticity became like so essential. Um, basically, I believe truth doesn't lie in the most accurate documentation, but in searching for what is true for me, you know, like in as storyteller, I have to find the thing that is true t to me and, and my relationship with Sam. So that became like a really big mantra. How do I do that? And there's certain things where it's like, hey, it would be a whole lot easier if we just explain this in, in a certain way where... You know, the conversation about how about the Blue Panther finds his mom ends in, you know, something like Sam saying, hey, I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. But like, really, what he said was just one word. And it was like, yeah, which is how teenage boys talk. And uh, I had to hold on to a lot of those like um, values, you know, just making sure that everything in the movie held up to what I know and what I know with my brother. I, I, I like what you said about um, authenticity, which I've always found more valuable in film, whether it's narrative or documentary. It For me, it's more important to be authentic than to be accurate because it's about getting to the heart of the story, not not just getting all the facts right. Yeah, exactly. And there's moments of like where we we jump around in time a little bit in the third act in order to tell the story effectively. Um, and also, I think it's more authentic to understand the story in the order that we have it than it is if it were to like go in like exact proper chronology. But um, yeah, regarding my relationship with my brother, it's really interesting. It's like we're we're really tight. And at the same time, like the movie making, like kind of pulled us together. It was like an original, like this is something that we bond over. We bond over making movies together. And then as it got into like deeper layers of like family hurts and trauma, um, that started to become like like a symbol of like, okay, this means abandonment problems and means like we have to talk about my mom again and all this kind of heavy weight. So um, I think we dealt with it pretty well at the end of the movie, but um, you know, it's just, it's been a process. And like one of the things that was really valuable to production and, and continued filming with Sam was that we made a pact to hang out at least as much off camera as, as we were on camera or with a camera around, or even talking about the making of the movie. As you guys understand, there's a heck of a lot of talking about making movies before you actually shoot or do things, you know? So um, really? we um, 
we made that rule and I think that was really helpful as a as a exit strategy. You know, like we you know, we weren't left just so like, how do we do this now? You know, um, we still have a lot of connection. And he had a really great time on the um, release of the movie coming out to Q&As. And we would we would just like hang out in New York and do fun stuff. So it was it was um, it was generally a good time. And it was like amazing to it's also amazing to see like how my family's kind of rallied around the movie and kind of like, you know, they'll like represent and then also there's just different layers of like understanding that starts to happen i'm i'm glad to hear that about about your family especially out how this film um ends it it ends on a actually positive note now i'll piggyback by saying that gen that genuinity uh we were talking uh read um before you before you came on um the uh that light at the end of the tunnel it's like it, it it provides that that feeling that whatever it is that somebody may be going through that there is that hope and optimism at the at the end of the day no matter what somebody may be going through and you we were talking earlier about that genuinity with the language of like yeah it just it's it just really adds that it really elevates the power behind the story and it's just it's just inc- it's just incredible the power that that you've that you've created on that front. Thanks, Tommy. Um, Welcome. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's something about fiction here that is. Um, uh, I I don't know, you know what what the popular belief is, but but my feeling is like within this story, something that's so beautiful and it's such a good document is that I'm able to capture our reality to an extent and our fiction to an extent. Like I have, I have these layers of what is going on in our fictional worlds happening at the same time as layers of what's going on in our real, you know, family worlds. Um, And I think that those things work really amazing together, almost sort of revolve around each other. And, you know, in one light, um, the movie is about questioning uh, escapism and, and um, you know, ways in which we have defense mechanisms, you know, uh, avoidance um, for all characters. And uh, and then also ways in which we, we face things and um, lean into the really hard shit. 100%. And it's so fascinating because everybody deals with particular situations so so differently and that when one has the ability to look back and really see like how they can move forward and in the sense of such a coping mechanism whatever said case may be and then but really take that that chance to move forward and with whatever cycle that they may be going through we don't want to confronted but we won't when one really can take a good hard look at themselves and not avoid something in the sense of being unable to move forward but they can genuinely and that's and that's what i love about this documentary is the genuinity behind that that they can genuinely look at themselves and say Hmm. they're ready yeah it's and that's that's something that doesn't necessarily come overnight right like and and in the story it was that was a big revelation was like Hey, maybe Sam won't 
make these connections until many years later. And that's where it's like, okay, because it's my family, I have, they're not going anywhere. And I, and I can use, um, what I would call patient filmmaking. Absolutely. And that, that simple moment, for example, um, in the third act, when he's in his house, he's like, he's leaning on the counter and just looking around before walking Mm. out the door. You can Mm. really feel like the thought process. It's like a, it's like the, the gears grinding of everything coming up to that point before he exits at that, at that moment, you can really feel that the power behind that. Sam is, um, he's somebody who, you know, in the movie, he, he says like, I feel like, like I'm emotionally crippled. Like it's really hard for me to recognize my emotions all the time. And, um, it's been really interesting getting to know that about him. I feel like even your siblings, like it's really hard to get to know a completely different style of processing. So the exercise of of going in deep with my brother um, has been really, uh, I would say amazingly connecting. Like I feel um, like I really get that. I really get the the thing that he's going through. And I get why too. For, I mean, I get most of the why. That 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 certainly comes across um, watching the movie. That it fe- it feels like you um, are le- are learning a lot about not not just Sam, but like ev- everyone that's featured in in this documentary. It feels like you get like a sense of like why why they're feeling this way and like how how everyone kind of processed this whole deal and they're like in in their own way. Oh man. Yeah, we all we all have our different ways and you know, I think I think mine happens to be like hey, the camera's kind of a defense mechanism. Um I also I use it like kind of as like protective shield. I use it also as a flashlight to like look into dark corners. But it's like man, looking at these places, all these vulnerabilities in my family, um it's like I couldn't I couldn't just look at the abandonment trauma. Like I had to look at like kind of a lot of the places because they're all connected, you know, and, and really, you know, my understanding after doing this is just that, you know, these things are, these kinds of patterns are generational and like really stay with, with us and stay in our families until they're truly addressed. Um, so I've been do, personally doing a lot of work on just like recognizing like, okay, what am I feeling right now? And like, am I putting up defenses to it? Um, and then also just, it's it's been amazing to have this really open line of communication with, with my brother, Sam, where it feels like we can talk about pretty much anything. I mean, now, it's, now I refrain from going into um, mom questions because I feel like I, I, I overextended that, but... Um, but but I'm also not um, I wouldn't hold back if I could tell that there was something up. Um, but I just got to say, it's like it's really amazing to have that in a sibling where you can you can kind of go to any place you need. You know, and that's and that deep connection. I'll, it reminds me, Reed, of my relationship with my sister. Um, you know, growing up, I not only consider my sister Katie. She wasn't just she was just my sister. Shit, I there are only a handful of people that I could really um, consider to be one of one of my best friends. And we, and as we grew up, our differences 
uh, led us in different directions on that element, but just that, that gift and that, and being able to, and thinking about that, the power of, of that connection in that sense, just to really allows one to take a, to take a step back and see them in that, that strong, that strong connectivity. It's just, it's really deep and it's, it's really deep to process in that respect. It's a real gift, you know, and, um, I'm lucky that I have a pretty big extended family and lots of cousins and, uh, aunts and uncles and kind of this, uh, very collective family experience. I know it's not the normal right now in Western culture, but, um, I really see the value of that. Absolutely. I, I kind of saw my, my own family in, in the Harknesses cause at, at least, at least on my mom's side, she, she is one of like, um, like 10, 10 siblings, um, three, three sisters and like seven, um, brothers, both older and younger. Um, so it, it, it was just kind of interesting, like, um, noticing various similarities between my family and, and yours. That's cool. I love that. And uh, it's, did you have like a matriarch figure? That's, that's kind of my mom. Um, like to some extent she's, she's kind of unofficially become the head of the family. Yeah. I really believe in, um, the power of that role and, you know, kind of the wisdom that my grandma Doris passed on to all of us. Um, I think that, uh, that's another benefit of this movie was like, I got to really lean into looking at the family dynamics and examining, um, these different roles and seeing how, um, really my, you know, my grandmother was leading the way on sort of family philosophy and all of this wisdom. And, um, you know, she's somebody that came from early childhood development specialist, um, and she, but she, worked with preschoolers like her whole life and um, even went into houses for 20 years as a research project doing like this coding exercise with uh, family attachment and like we just sit there and smile and just make notes on, you know, if, uh, you know, if a kid falls and gets hurt, what do the parents do? Um, so yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways, like Sam now was kind of, even just, you know, talk about like generational stuff, like an extension of um, some of the work she was doing. 100%. And when you think of things being passed down, and I think of, you know, talking about that um, generational head, I think about when it, when it comes to certain aspects of my life um, on my mom's side, um, she, I, she came from a very large family. I have 3940. I forgive me for not knowing the exact number. So if any member of the Detroit family is listening to this, I apologize. My, my brain is freezing up a bit, but, um, I have about 40 first cousins, um, on my mom's side of the family and the David and Mary Detrimp were the ones who oversaw my mom's side of the family. And when I think of my mom in that sense, and, you know, and that certain things being passed down, overlooked and particular sense of wisdom it and even though my grand my grandparents are no longer on earth i think to myself in various instances what would what would they say to me today but at the same time you know just having that having that confidence and being able to 
move forward in that respect. But yeah, it's so, it's so much, you know, going back to that connectivity and the power of speak of speaking to the viewer, Reed, that's, you know, just even, even by sitting here and talking with you, it's just, you're able to really look back upon yourself and that's just the power that you have presented that you've created with this documentary. So it's just, this really is a gift. Thank you. I also think of this, uh, the question that you said, which was like, what would my, you know, grandmother say to me? Um, I think that that's a similar concept to, to, to what I, what I hold, um, with my grandmother. And I think that these are ways in which, um, we kind of, we follow through on not just our family DNA, but almost like our family purpose, right? Like there's all these interesting attributes to that. And I, and I really think it's, it's very powerful. Um, so thanks for sharing. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. I should be saying thank you for, for creating this because it's just without, with, without it, it's just, you know, sometimes it wouldn't for someone like myself, sometimes it wouldn't, it wouldn't allow one to really take that positive look, but thank you. Bring the mood, bring the mood up um, for a moment. When it came to the soundtrack, I had to, I had to double check the, the website. You had a variety of, of pieces from the Sonics, Whalers, Smog, and Kathleen, among many others. Was there a specific moment in the documentary that reminded you of a particular piece of music saying like this has to be here or what led to the placement of these particular tracks within the movie oh my gosh that was such a fun and excruciating process we have uh adam adam brown is uh is is uh our music supervisor and he he dealt with all the contracting and then um uh jason jason adam darren lund the other editor uh they're huge music snobs. They're it's like it's like it was like we were editing in a record store, and uh, and then I had like this playlist that was like I don't know five hundred songs or something of like this is like these are the kind of like inspiration music. These are the these are the kinds of things that like I could see working. And so Jason and Darren would like plop things into the edit at certain points. Jason, you want to like get into. Oh man, we just, just like I was saying about the edit, hundreds of decisions and the music decisions were just like, sometimes we'd have 30 versions of a sequence with 30 different songs, especially like when, you know, there's a song that kicks off the road trip. And for years we had have love will travel the Sonic's most famous song, but the master recording, um, writes on that were owned by a major label, as opposed to the other Sonic songs who we got to deal with a more independent label. And so. Um, we eventually had to lose that song and it just took forever to figure out what is that first music cue on the road trip. Um, and we landed on psycho by the Sonics, but that was, there was, there was probably a hundred different things tried for that. Um, and similarly we had like wishlist things like velvet underground songs, um, and things like that, that we wish that we could get, but we quickly realized that they were not going to be on the PBS budget. And we were lucky enough that everybody who licensed us movie music um, agreed to do it at the same level, which was affordable to our budget. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a big process that, yeah. And like, we all have really strong music opinions like me, Adam, Darren, 
and read. And so one of us would like fall in love with something and then we'd present it to the other people and they're like, nope, that doesn't work. And it's like, all right, you just gotta, you gotta just keep moving on until you find the right cues for the right spots. And, and some of them were just, they became very obvious the moment that we, you know, put them in the cut. No, and if they were gettable tracks. If there's one thing I appreciate is a good, uh, a, a good soundtrack for, for any, for any film narrative, documentary, whatever. Hey, this is cool. So on the um, eight hour, 21 minute inspiration playlist that I made, um, I the first that. two songs, um, Dressed in Black by Teen Generate and DOA by Dead Moon, we are in the movie. Hey, that's really cool, isn't it? And those are the first two songs they put on there. Um, that's cool. Yeah. You know, that. And then going down, it's like, you know, like, the sonics like not very many songs later come in um so we we did really push for um music that was important to us and the reason that the sonics are important is because the the sonics are from the pacific northwest mid 60s um actually you know early in the 60s they they really were like punk pioneers they were poking their amplifiers with with pins to get distortion before distortion existed um and i really believe that um that movement um the pacific northwest sound in the 60s is a way more potent and um exciting sound than even the grunge era of the 90s um and one day um when i was in my youth um and sam was just a little little guy um, I was at a garage sale in our neighborhood in Seattle, um, same neighborhood as Jason. And I was going through a, a box of records and I saw the Sonics boom in there. And I knew that it was like valued at like $200. And um, I asked Sam for a quarter because it, it was priced at a quarter because I didn't have any money on me. And he's like, no, this is my quarter. <laughs> and I was like, please, please, I'll pay you back. And he gave me the quarter. And when it came time to talk to the uh, record company about using this, I told this story. I held up the LP, and I think that helped them warm up to to working with us. Nice. Spectacular. I love moments like that. Special moments within the power of music that really hit close to home. And that special, that special album, that special... Um, that special, that special meaning. It's like, um, when my, one of the, one of the most prized possessions, um, within my mom's house is the, um, when, and I want to say this was before I was, I want to say it was sometime before I was born. This, uh, the story behind the cassette of, uh, Andy Williams Christmas present, mm-hmm. that special Christmas album. He just, he was talking about, if I'm, if I'm remembering this uh, story correctly, Daddy was uh, talking about Andy Williams. They went into a gas station. Um, I can't remember where they were. And he purchased the cassette, picked it up, and they listened to it. And ever since then, that that cassette has been. It's not the Christmas season unless you hear um, unless you hear that Andy Williams sang Christmas present at least once. And it has got to be off the cassette. Like, is, is the cassette so working? <laughs> I, if only. I mean, obviously, times have uh, have changed, but uh, that, but just being able to listen to that song, just that song and its special, uh, its special meaning to it. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And yeah, that, and the power behind moments like that. And of course, of course, mom's probably going to listen to this and say, and say, I got the story wrong. But, but it's, um, but it's, but those 
those specific moments hold that special feeling. That's that special feeling once more. I love that. And that was the Sonics, the Whalers, those um, Pacific Northwest bands from the '60s. Like I made mixtapes of all that. I would I would find the records and you know, I, would, I would record them onto tape, and then I'd, we listened to them in my in my car as we were driving to locations to film our our early Sam movies, the fiction movies that you see in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah, but that's and the power behind combining music with that specific scene with any movie. It's that is it's just so it's just so powerful and I love it. I I agree with that. There's also like I feel like the movie is sort of a hybrid between uh this sense of like joy and adventurous inventive filmmaking and so brothers going on adventures and road trips and stuff and then sober reality of like uh oh now we have to face this so there's also music choices that are are very much from that place too what was it that um as the evolution process and making the movie what was it always that um inspiration to keep going specifically with the third act and what inspired you to keep going um past solving the mystery into seeing sam where he is today i felt very unresolved um i think that the the movie as it moves along we have this sort of natural like adventure of like we're going on a road trip something's gonna happen maybe something's gonna happen and then something does happen. Something really huge happens. And I guess we don't want to get into spoilers, but it's it's profound. And then we're like, okay, now, now what's going to happen? And that's when it's like, oh, everything's kind of like falling back into like the before, the normal from before. And it's like, what, what do I do about this? So um, at that moment, I I begin to realize that it's like, I I have um, a need to answer some of, of my burning questions. I have a need to like know more about this and why it's happening. And um, so the span of time that happens from that is to do a little bit with, I recognize that my brother's not really ready to face it. I recognize that Sam is not... Um, he just he kind of just wants to like move on and and then um other characters too there's that quality too everyone just kind of was like okay great let's move on um but i couldn't i couldn't move on it was something that was haunting me and i felt compelled to to stick with it and and that meant you know some time and then you know at certain points there was there was characters that didn't want to be filmed for periods of time. And then they'd, and then I'd come back and I'd be like, I want, I want to continue this. And they'd say, yes. Um, Joyce was one of them. Um, And then, you know, it's, it's both live and filmmaking and wearing the hat of like, I'm a family member wearing the hat of, I'm a director trying to tell a story. Um, and then, and then you're in the edit room with like, you know, your childhood friend, like trying to figure this all out. So it's, it's a, a huge mix of things, you know, it's a lot of, of humanity going into, into this particular kind of storytelling. That, that goes back to the comment uh, we made earlier about 
the difference between authenticity and accuracy. Like I, I felt that the sort of like the struggles to, to like keep going um, while I was watching the film after you guys like um, go finally, um, I think it was like after the phone, the phone call, that's, that's when I kind of felt like, oh, oh, there's still, there's still more story to tell after this. Mm. There was also like, when you do a project like this, that has a lot of scale, a lot of big ideas. Um, there's really a, a lot of themes in here that are really important to the movie. And as I would tell people about the project, they'd say things to me like, Oh, it sounds like you're trying to boil the ocean or like, that sounds impossible. Um, you know, also they'd be interested, but it, it was like, I heard a lot of, you know, this isn't, this might not be doable. Um, so I had to push through that as well. Um, and these are, these are places where, Hey, let's look at this, this, um, this timeline in the movie, you know, 25 years of not just like watching Sam develop and my family develop, but it's like, here's me and my wisdom in time. I'm at a point, you know, as a young person operating with what I have. And then as I get older and big decisions are made, I'm operating from those points like through the years, right? And this, this is how I think, um, this is how growth works. This is how, how we how we evolve, how we progress, but I'm, really proud of that aspect. I love this timeline of following through on, and this is something you get to experience as an audience member. You get to see what I'm going through as that develops in time. It's like really just the movie is just built on the questions that I have at various stages in my life about my family, which I think is really, really beautiful and really, um, it's been a, a giving process for me i feel like uh it's the movie kind of that i i always wanted i always wanted this movie when i was a teenager i wanted to see brothers interacting i wanted to see how family works i wanted to see how parents worked i want to see like you know just the idea of like how a filmmaker begins their journey and how they how they get somewhere how they get to ideas why they do things so this is a movie that reveals like why I'm doing things in every beat. Um, one of the characters, or I guess one of your one of your brothers, who I actually latched onto quite a bit, was um, Jared. How did he feel um, being involved in the narrative of of this movie? Uh, my brother Jared is like the sweetest guy. He is. He's probably like of all of us, just like the coolest uh he gets the coolest battle he's the coolest guy ever um he is a uh he's a dj in seattle and he's also he he works as uh an assistant at his old high school nova um where you see him in the movie um basically assisting the kids that are struggling in class and helping them stay motivated and I'm especially proud because there, there's that scene in the movie where I'm like telling Jared to write this letter to his mom and I'm like pushing him to do it. And he's just like, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, like, but I was like, come on, Jared, just do it. And he's like, okay, fine. You know, but 
I just, I, I really, I'm proud to be his brother, but also Jared is just like, just such a good hearted human. He's just, he, he's probably seen the movie more than any of my family members. He'll show up to screenings and watch it like every night if it's in town, you know, he, he loves watching it. And, you know, he's, he has things to say about it. He's got a different perspective than I do, but it's been really beautiful having conversations with him. And, you know, the, in the filming of it, I think, you know, the, the, the sort of depressed teen thing, I think that, you know, I think he was a little like, oh man, like, you know, like, why are you filming me? But I think now, you know, especially with like where Sam gets in the movie and Sam is like, you know, basically honoring his depression and saying like, hey, that was actually a pretty good strategy you had. Like maybe you were more equipped than me. Like I think he really values, you know, these sort of places that the movie gets to. And also there's a lot that doesn't get said in real life where the movie I provoked people to talk and, and, um, I think he appreciates it. There, there's a there's a line that uh, that Sam says where he's commenting on, you know, how Jared was processing this all. He said, like, what I what I thought was a weakness turned out to be a strength, and I think that's that's something that I um, really kind of honed in on. And I think I think I think that's just one of the important themes to take away from all this is that you're not you're not weak for showing your emotions never i agree i think that i think that um one of the things that i take away from the movie is that you know jared being visibly depressed and unmotivated and all these things that uh, i'm a parent of four kids and you know all these things we really worry about with our kids um i think it was just an important uh stage in his life um i also Recognize, you know, Sam had to get through, get by in the way he could. And his way was to hide from his emotions, escape, um, hang out with friends that were kind of, you know, on the honor roll and into sports and doing things that he saw as positive. And I see that as uh, a useful tool too, you know. It's really complicated. And I, I know that um, this is true for a lot of families, most families. So it's it's just been a total honor to be able to do this with my family. And then also like with Jason, who is, you know, I've known since I was five, um, our whole team, Adam and Darren and Heather, who I share the kids with, you know, like we, it was very much like a family operation. Um, and I think I think that there's collective wisdom in and just like looking at family and looking at how we operate and looking at like, hey, like let's stay away from any like experts, let's stay away from anything that is um necessarily like a hot topic and let's just look at what we see here. What was it that inspired you to release this story to the general public? That's a great question. I think that, you know, um, we could certainly talk. I know Jason's got something to say about this, but um, I recognized that after doing, like working on this movie for such a long time, I recognized that my family is probably not going to do a great deal of change with the current generations. Like, And, you know, if I made the movie purely for them also, 
it would still stay more or less in the closet of the family. But by releasing it, by sharing it, by having other people talk about it, there's touch points where more of us can identify and more of us can, you know, recognize what what I think of as sort of like lonelinesses. We all have these places where we feel really lonely, right? Like, and as we share them, we can start to see that, oh, other people have these things too. And, you know, along the road of releasing this movie, we've connected with so many people that have abandonment trauma from their moms and way more things than that. There's like a lot of things that in this movie audiences like recognize. Um, and I feel like that work is not just healing for my family um, to know that people recognize it, but um, it's happening for these other families. We see stuff where like somebody will show up and then they'll show up the second night with like their mom or their sibling. Um, I've seen it happen where somebody shows up and then they show up with their partner and then they show up with their kids, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, it's like, this is the kind of thing. It's like, it's all about family conversations. It's all about family connection. I really believe in that power. And that's, that's the reason why, um, I felt the need to, to share it. And that powerful, the emotional connection behind that is just really it really lives with you and it's con- and it continues to it continues to live with me even after i originally uh saw the movie uh coincidentally enough i was through independent lens on uh, pbs over mother's day weekend of all weekends mm. yeah and i'll just add that like you know the co-production with itvs which if your viewers don't know itvs funds a limited amount of projects a year and they're intended for content for public television and they believed in this project before anyone else back in 2019 and um, in terms of on a large scale to actually give us the resources needed to complete it and release it. And the fact that it went out on public television in May on an independent lens to basically available to every household in the country. I mean, that's like such a huge goal to reach people. But what's crazy is there's so many people that we haven't reached with the film. You know, we didn't have like the Sundance world premiere and we didn't have, you know, you know, it's been more of like a slow build with our release, you know, it's been a year and a half into the release and we did a theatrical run and impact campaign and then broadcast and we're available on the different VOD platforms. And now we're proud to say that we're available on the criterion channel, which is reaching, you know, a different audience, you know, like it's, it's reaching the art house film going, community and that's really really cool for us to be included in such an you know amazing canon of films on a platform for the people that know and like that kind of cinema you know like i mentioned my love of like 60s french new wave i mean if you want to go back and watch like a lot of those films that are available streaming then that's really really special thing to have and we feel honored to be on that platform as well as honored to air it on PBS and independent lens. So, and by the way, we have a 99 cent rental special throughout the holidays on Amazon and Apple TV. So prime video. So if you want to watch the movie and you haven't seen it, you can see it for a very low barrier to entry or get a criterion subscription, which is only a hundred bucks for a year. So worth every penny to our listeners, take it up, take them up on that. It is worth it. Oh yeah. Definitely agree with that. Um, there is, there is one final question I have 
Now, one one thing I put in my notes is that like one of the appeals of this story is how reality can sometimes be stranger than fiction. But is there any way you see a version of this story being told in like a like a narrative um style and mm-hmm. and who who I, I want I want to be careful with how I how I word this, but um, like who 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 would you trust to tell the story if 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 not like yourselves? Oh, I've actually been asked about that um, by people that were you know considering just that, and I really feel like I'd want to be involved. I feel like I still have that same burning thing from Sam that's like you have to tell it and i'm sure there's uh there's people that could do it justice um i feel like i would put down a pretty good blueprint but um you know and i and i'm sure that there will be films that are made um that reference this because it is packed um but to do this story i i would want to be involved um you know and it, i will say also that as i was um over the years developing the movie, I went back and forth between maybe I should just use all this source material as really good notes for a scripted film. I didn't do that because I didn't think it would be as powerful as as doing it this way. I really as as I talked about with like the garage rock music, you know, I really believe in raw energy. And getting to the heart of like what things are. So I wanted to put that all in. I wanted the rough stuff. I wanted the stuff that was like very much true to what I knew. And yeah, just also say like, man, I believed in the power of independent cinema. Like since I was like an early teenager, Um, maybe even younger. I just, I watched a lot of foreign films. I watched a lot of indie films. And this is an ode to all of that. I love that. Um, I guess my last question is um, could be end on on this thought. Um, despite what's defined by both the noun and verb in the dictionary, everyone, each individually, has their own um, respective definitions of support. Um, so, for both Jason and Reed, how would you each uh, define what a support system is all about? Was there ever a time in your career where you felt as you, as if you were able to deliver your best possible work because such support was what drove you to succeed. Wow. Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> Great question. Um, uh, wow. Well, I mean, I feel like on so many levels, well, a family, you know, that's, that's obviously a big support system, but like just almost centered around this film, or at least my filmmaking world, you know, like the people that I've collaborated with over the years has just been like such an amazing support system for everything it takes to put into this career and to put into making these projects that are take so much from you, you know, and, um, with this film in particular, you know, we had our sort of brain trust family with Reed and Heather and me and Adam and Darren and Adam, Darren and I have worked on everything together since our first feature length doc Sonic's gate. Uh, about how the Sonics were stolen from Seattle and moved to Oklahoma. You can watch it for free online. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this family that we've built and, you know, with like Reed and Heather 
we'll reunite, you know, from our friendship, from our whole childhood and everything that in my relationship with the Harkness family, I mean, that's, that's one thing, but just sort of like what we all sort of went through in the making of this movie, particularly from 2019 to present. And, you know, you finish a movie and, and then it's another year and a half in our case to take us to the point where we're actually on a streaming network and we're, you know, doing an awards push, but that's a really, really long time after a really, really long time of, you know, making the movie and all those creative decisions. And then there's just like hundreds and hundreds of business decisions or more that happen after you finish the movie from where you want to premiere to how you want to distribute the movie and every decision about every bit of marketing around the movie. And you can imagine that with the personal nature of this project, like, and with the personalities of Reed and I and other people on our team, it's just like, oh my God, it's just like, we're all so <laughs> interested, so like obsessed with making the absolute like right decisions on every single aspect of this. And that's the cool thing about us being these independent filmmakers is that we get to, especially with the path that we did with this film, we literally have gotten to make every decision for the movie. And that's different than the filmmakers who just, sell their movie or have it paid for by the streamers it's just but it's a lot more work so i would say you know like just i burned out really heavily this summer on the on the project and everything we'd done you know we got through all the different releases and um i really had to lean heavy on the rest of the team where i'm used to being the producer sort of leading the ship i just had to i had to take a back seat and i think all of us at different points in the process had that, but I really, really had to lean hard, both emotionally and just to like get through to the point where we can be doing what we're doing, which is doing one final round of the film to build awareness and to, you know, just to um, finish off like what we started and make sure the film's out as widely as possible. So, you know, I mean, I think support network and creative endeavors as well as in life and in family is like so critical and. I'm really grateful for the team that we have on this project and how we've supported each other and held each other up when the other people have needed it. Me too, Jason. I'm really, I'm really appreciative for the, you know, I brought Jason in um, mostly out of trust um, that, you know, we would be going into some really vulnerable space. And um, I think that was uh the right kind of thinking for a project like this. Um, but what was your question originally, Michael? The question I had, um, or the question that Tommy had was like, how, how would you define support or for any creative endeavor? Yeah. And was there ever a time in your career where you re felt you were able to deliver your best possible work, uh, because such support, uh, was what ended up driving you to succeed? Ah, oh, man. Okay. So. ITVS open call is an interesting story. We submitted twice a year to that for five cycles. So like, and we got in every time we got into their final round every time random people, they have like a whole crew of judges who partner up and like pick, pick your project out of the pile. Every time we were getting into the, uh, the final round and then every time at the end, we weren't getting the funding. So we were just redrafting our 15 minute work sample and our writing 
and thinking about it and what is the sort of um, thrust of the story and what is the thing that's like really going to get people to think about the movie. Strangely, that little bit of rejection therapy was useful as a motivator, you know, like helped me like really think about, think about the story, think about like what we were delivering, thinking about the themes. Um, and also Jason too, is like, as he was started cutting together samples. Um, so when we finally did get the, the funding from ITVS on our fifth time, I was out in the gorge in, in Oregon, total scenic area, beautiful. If you've ever been there, you know, um, and I was shooting something. I was on set. I was shooting something. I was like setting up the camera. We had our subject there. I got the call. I was like, it's Dave Eisenberg. It's like the guy. I have to answer this call right now. I answered the call and he's like, Reed, are you in a good place right now? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're funded. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, wow. I've answered so much, you guys. Like, uh, not just not just like in all the grant writing we were doing, which was like way too much. It's a, it was a ridiculous amount, but in and just the get getting to this place where it's like ready to really sink into the edit, ready to really do this movie. Um, and I got to say, um, ITVS and P PBS. ITVS is the documentary arm of PBS. They they support all of the documentaries that go into the PBS pipeline for documentary through Independent Lens or POV or American Masters. The team was so supportive. Michael Kinamoto um, was signed on as our supervising producer. He also did the film Mind in the Gap. He was a total angel. He, he like had a connection to Seattle. He had lived in Seattle as an independent filmmaker. He had worked as Scarecrow Video, like Seattle's cool, still renting movies video store. Um, he knew that old Seattle. Um, and, you know, he's uh, Japanese, comes from a Japanese American family and has a lot of touch points with identity in the movie. He brought so much support and uh, connection to, to the storytelling. His notes were superb. He was really tapped into all the emotional spaces of production from the story to what we were going through as filmmakers. And I think that, uh, you know, I always believe in publicly funded things. Uh, I think that we need way more of that. I wish we were more like Canada in that way. But um, this is a space still where there's a lot of really good support. Um, if you can get into that system, I think it's so valuable. Um, right now, we're living in a world where, you know, algorithms are uh, are what's making things happen, and I don't like that. I don't think that's truly independent. Um, I think that ITVS is still a place where they foster true independent work. Yeah, it was amazing to work with them. I'll just add, and just that creative flexibility and then when COVID hit the flexibility to extend our schedule and not hit <laughs> the deadlines and realize and just be so understanding and supportive and Michael Kinamoto was just 
still amazing from that perspective and having helping Reen and I navigate the producing for PBS, which we've both never done, which is is complicated. There is a lot more elements to it. But you know, Lois Voss and the independent lens who runs it is was also like an amazing support and really everybody like we interacted with through ITVS and through independent lens, you know, yeah. always had the best interests of the of the film in mind. Nobody pushed us away from the vision of the project as I saw it. And I think that's that's something really important for filmmakers to know. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm once again, congratulations on everything you guys have accomplished with this movie and I'm I'm hoping for the best for award season. I I, re I really hope that more people get to uh check this movie out. Um now as we wind this down, um before we get out of here, are either of you on social media? Yeah, you can follow uh, um, the movie Sam Now Movie, um, and then you and then me. It's at Reed Harkness. Jason is at Jason Reed. And it reads to read, actually. <laughs> but Oops. if you go to our Sam Now Instagram, it has both of our handles on there. And if you're still at Twitter X user, I'm Reed two o six R E I D. Nice, and. Tommy, where can everyone find you online? You can follow me on X, aka the website formerly known as Twitter, at T underscore Hughes35. You can also follow me on YouTube, Instagram, Letterboxd, Snapchat, Linktree, at the T Money35. Uh, be sure to follow my uh, second Instagram dedicated to cooking. It's uh, been in a bit of dormancy for a moment, but it'll be back, and that's at Cooking with T Money. Follow uh, movies.mxdwn.com where you'll be able to see my review of the Disney Plus release of The Shepherd, a short film from director Ian Softley, which has the potential to be a new timeless end of the year classic and a reminder of the communal experience. But be sure to uh, please go see Sam now. This is one of the best movies of the year. It's powerful. It's emotional. It's a journey. One that highlights how individuals cope with rippling effects on the, in that emotionally intense presentation with all the talk of an underlining theme of abandonment in the fictitious story that is the holdovers it is often overlooked about how detrimental the effects of particular events could have on the individual and differentiations in coping and allowing honesty within oneself someone somewhere out there needed to see sam's story i cannot applaud reed jason and the entire crew enough for sharing sam's story to the masses bravo to the two of you Goodness, thank you, guys. myself. Thank, thank you, you guys so, much, so much, both of you. Wonderful. It's been really good talking to you. Yeah, great mm -hmm. talking to you guys too. And you guys can follow me on various social media at Captain K42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com/slash Coach K42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and the platform formerly known as Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash renegadepopculture. Listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Marquee. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.